Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today is one that I have talked about many a time on this podcast, and that is truly because I just love it so much. It's my go-to everyday scent. The same way that like I just put on, you know, like black leggings without thinking about it. This is that scent equivalent. I am wearing Eccentric Molecules Molecule 01 plus Iris. On a whole, I have not felt personally into many of the Eccentric Molecules fragrances, which is why I was so shocked that I was so in love with this scent, but I am. And you guys know I have an Oris Iris obsession, and if you are trying to learn more about that note, I feel like this is the perfect gateway fragrance. This encapsulates everything I love about a great Iris scent. It's powdery and chalky and earthy and warm, but somehow, because this is that Molecule 01 formula, it still feels like a skin scent, light, fresh, easy to wear. When I don't wanna think about anything, I really just throw this on and it just makes me so happy and it's so mass appealing and just lovely. Let's get to our guest because this one was a TikTok stock for me. Today we are joined by Certified Sommelier and the content creator behind the TikTok account, Legally Wined, Michelle Chen. So basically Legally Wined came up on my For You page and I was like, wait, okay. In the same way that there is hashtag perfume talk or fragrance talk, there exists hashtag psalm talk. Think perfume talk, but for wine, I absolutely went on a deep dive of her page because I feel like Michelle makes learning about wine fun, approachable, palatable, relaxed, funny. And after I was like 30 videos deep, I was like, what am I doing? I need to message this girl. I have to have her on the podcast. And then a few weeks later, we were just drinking a bottle of wine in my apartment, shooting the shit, recording this episode. The internet is crazy. Michelle is not only a certified sommelier, she is also a lawyer in New York. What a combo. I now trust her with my life. There are so many parallels between the fragrance and wine industries and communities, and one we discussed particularly in this episode are the ugly stepsisters, ego and snobbery. All this to say, my big takeaway from this episode is that I will continue to drink and love my buttery shards loud and proud. Just like in perfume, there is nothing that should be a guilty pleasure. It is literally about your palate. If you enjoy it, it is nothing to feel guilty about. To be honest, if I drink a Chardonnay that doesn't feel like I'm lounging on a dairy farm, I don't want it. We also discuss the most common descriptors in wine and Michelle breaks them down in a very easy way so that hopefully you guys can all take these with you to your local wine stores and get some great recommendations. We discuss great affordable recommendations, how to expand your palate, which wines pair well with which foods, and of course, what it means to be a sommelier and how Michelle got to this point. Raise your glasses. Here is Michelle. Michelle, welcome to the perfume room. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you for asking, Emma. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to finally talk to you. I have been wanting to have a sommelier on the pod for a long time. And then I discovered you on TikTok and I was like, this is it. It's her. It's meant to be. She's the one. So we always start the pod with the following question. What are you currently wearing perfume wise? I am currently wearing Bond Scent of Peas and I love it. I feel like it smells like a fresh, clean Paloma and (laughs) I love it. We're already talking drinks. Yeah. So I'm walking around just feeling like a fresh cocktail. So yeah. You know, it's interesting because before we started recording, I told you that yesterday I smelled a scent that smelled like that was rosé inspired. Mm -hmm. But as I think about it, I feel like it smelled more like a Paloma. Like there was like a citrus note in it. Really? Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I'm it was so inspired curious. by Rosé, but I feel like there's another perfume that's actually called Rosé too. Anyway, this is neither here nor I'm going to have to look up that line and maybe check it out. I know, because I'm very curious point. about like the sense of wine and we're going to get there. The other question I always open with is, would you say you have a signature scent? Is it scent of peace? I am actually currently looking for a signature scent. You've so come I come to the right place. I think last time we spoke, I told you about how I was not super into perfume for a very long time. It's not like I didn't care about it. I just never uh, spent a lot of time looking mm-hmm. for a scent. And also, I think in wine, is kind of wine etiquette to not wear a strong scent when you go wine tasting or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I just never really explored it. 
but I'm currently looking. I have, that's another thing is I, I had COVID back in, uh, 2020 mm-hmm. and that really changed my perception of smell and mm. so a lot of smells I loved before I now hate and so I'm looking I'm looking what do you know for a fact has changed that you no longer like so I think I told you in high school I had a quote-unquote signature scent and I'm looking for it. it's discontinued I thought I finally found it it's by eight and bob it's their original scent and I ordered it and it smelled nothing like when I first smelled and I was so disappointed because I thought I finally found the smell. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, my mind is already turning about what I can potentially pull for. I have one in here that like might be like, if you liked Eight and Bob, you might like that. So Ooh, I'm already thinking. I'm excited. So normally I also always ask, what are your fragrance hot takes? But because you are in the wine world, do you have any wine hot takes or controversial opinions? That's the tough thing about wine is every controversial opinion, there's always going to be a group of people who are super about it. So I don't have any original controversial opinions, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. In terms of fragrance, there are smells that people love that I find disgusting. Like I hate the new car smell. I know people love it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, is it? the leather that smells like that it makes me want to throw up like interesting people will be so excited about getting a new car and I'm like I can't go in there I get so dizzy and I don't think it's necessarily like sensitivity to chemicals which is I looked it up and that's supposed to be a theory of why that happens but Mm -hmm. I just don't like the smell yeah and I smell that smell in certain diptyque scents as well I know there's um is it Lombre I think that's one of them and the other one is it starts with ph philosophos yes I don't like so maybe it's like a fig smell that you... You think it's yeah. fig? Yeah. I mean, L'Ombre, I don't think L'Ombre d'Anlot actually has a fig note, but Philosophos and L'Ombre remind me of each other. And it's sort of like yes. this like greenish, suede-ish, like, I'm not a huge... I think I maybe don't you like don't it. like fig, if I had to guess. Really? Yeah. I that's And I, I understand what you're saying. I'm really particular about fig because sometimes I find it almost nauseating and it gives me like a carsick feeling. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. Yes. And so I think that that that's might so be interesting. I think for you, I would say if that's the, I think cashmere and fig are two notes that I would avoid if I were you based on me and anything with like a suede note. I think suede, cashmere and fig could all give off that vibe. And I think that that's not your jam I actually did pull a scent that has like a cashmere note so I'll spray it and you can tell me oh cool if that's if it bothers find out yeah so you did pour us some wine can you tell us what we're drinking yes so we are drinking a gentil which is an Alsatian blend and it's a blend of Riesling Gewürztraminer and Muscat I originally meant to chill a bottle of Gewürztraminer for you because I wanted you to smell just I think is the most amazing smell in wine. It's very aromatic. Mm-hmm. It's got lychee, rose, and it's got, you know, stone fruits. Mm. This is going to be more of a blend, but I think that actually makes it more interesting because you'll get that from the Gewürztraminer, but you're also going to get the acidity from the Riesling and kind mm-hmm. of like the aromatic, uh, kind of like grapey smell from mm-hmm. the Muscat. Yeah. So. Well, I'm smelling it before I taste it and it's very aromatic. And One thing that I think is really interesting that I think is a really big parallel is as someone who has a very pedestrian education in wine, like I I can make, I can get around a menu, but I'm no sommelier. I feel like it's intimidating to talk to someone like you and tell you what I smell because in my mind, I'm like, am I just going to say a note that is just like so off? And I think that it applies the same to perfume. If you don't speak that language, it's like, If you tell someone who loves perfume, oh, I smell like a raspberry note in here and it's not raspberry, do you sound dumb? And it's like, no, because it's all subjective, right? That's the thing. It's so subjective. And I feel like that's what really helped me when I pursued, you know, wine is not to be afraid to say what I smell. And you really can't. And I will never, ever tell someone that they're smelling something that they shouldn't be smelling because they may smell that. They may smell aspects of that. And I was in a class in a lecture hall. I I don't know if I told you the story, but I smelled wine. This was when I didn't know too much about wine. And it smelled like BO to me. And Mm -hmm. I just could not smell anything besides BO. And uh, I got like cold called and was like, what do you smell? And I was like, 
BO <laughs> and everyone's laughing like oh like there's no way it smells like BO and the professor was so nice she was like what you're smelling is what we call gooseberry and she knew exactly what I was talking about mm -hmm. but just to have that kind of validation and that you know mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's so important in wine which is why I, I encourage people to just say whatever it is they, they're smelling um, I get that if you're talking to a winemaker and you smell something, they may not want you to say that word because it's a fault. Right. But so that's when people start to get a little sensitive about using the wrong words. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you should be able to just express it and not feel intimidated. Right. And also the other thing, too, that is at least true with fragrance is a non-fragrance descriptor might actually be a fragrance. Like if you say, oh, this smells like almonds to me and you might be smelling a powdery fragrance, people often say that powdery fragrances have an almond-like smell. Like, it's not necessarily right. wrong. It's just right. like, maybe it's not the actual terminology, but it, it is how people describe it. So Yes, exactly. Said, I'm going to cheers. Cheers. Should uh, a white wine be in a wide So for glass? white wine, you don't need a wider bowl just because it doesn't require as much aeration. Mm -hmm. I love stemless, although sometimes stemless in white wine, you Ooh. may warm it up with your hand. That's the only issue. Right. But in this case, it's casual drinking. It's it's perfect. And plus, I didn't really chill it all that much anyway. So. I love this. I'm definitely getting a sweetness to it. I'm getting something like a little, this is going to, as I'm saying this, I'm like, this is dumb because grapes, wine is made from grapes, but as like, it smells a little grapey, mm -hmm. but it smells grapey in a like more than a traditional wine way. Like I smell like You're sweet grapes. Absolutely right. Because of the muscat that's in this blend which is why this is actually more interesting and bring them give her Shemeener. It's going to have that grapey smell. And this is actually, this is probably a, a good demonstration of something that's dry, but tastes sweet mm -hmm. because this has a lot of sweet fruit notes. So mm -hmm. when you're drinking and you think, oh, this is sweet because it's so grapey. It's so, you know, like ripe fruit notes, you, you get the lychee. So you mm -hmm. think it's sweet, but it's actually just aromas. And I always use LaCroix as an example or White Claw. Sometimes people will drink a mango White Claw and be like, I don't like mango White Claw. It's too sweet. There's mm -hmm. no sugar in White Claw and right. there's no, and people like lime more, but that's because we, in our brain, we perceive lime to be acidic and not sweet. So we like that flavor profile more mm -hmm. than mango when it's the same exact thing. So in wine, it's the same thing. If it's tropical fruit noty, then you're going to get, you're going to think it's sweet when it's actually just tropical fruity. Right. Interesting. Is there, this is, this is my like, uh, Myers-Briggs of wine. If there was like a wine that fit your aesthetic, what varietal Ooh. do you feel is like most Michelle? That's a very good question. I think I love a good Oregon Pinot. I think I'm pretty Oregon Pinot-y. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever said that before <laughs> on this podcast. But I also don't want to sound arrogant because that's such a fantastic region. That's why I'm trying to think of a better example. What makes, like when you say that, why Oregon? Like what makes it so great? Oregon has just the perfect cool weather with, you know, ripe grapes. The terroir. It's the terroir. I was trying to avoid using that word because there's just. Um, I have some basic lingo. There you, know? you go. There terroir you go. is the soil, right? For everybody listening. Terroir is the combination of soil, climate, and there's microclimate. Okay, so I was halfway there. No, you're totally <laughs> right. That's a part of it. And it's all just what makes a wine smell and taste the way it does. It's, mm -hmm. it's everything. Mm -hmm. And Oregon has the cool climate that provides the acidity that you know, makes uh, Oregon Pinot so great. And the grapes are also still, you know, ripe enough for there to be enough fruit notes. And it's actually the same latitude as uh, Burgundy. So people often compare Oregon wines and Burgundy wines because it's the same climate and you get the same notes. And it's also just an expression of old world wines in the States, which is pretty cool as well. Wow. Okay. Very cool. So if, is that sort of like your go-to if you're going to someone's house as a guest? For dinner, do you, do you grab a, an Oregon Pinot? If I go to someone's house as a guest, I would probably grab white wine and I would probably grab either Riesling, a Riesling blend like what I just brought, mm -hmm. or probably like a, maybe like a Gruner Veltliner or Sauvignon Blanc. You want to bring something that everyone's going to like. Mm -hmm. And Oregon Pinot is not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that's what I would bring. Also, in a social setting, I just try to drink white wine just because it makes me more energetic. I don't know if you feel the same way. Interesting. I mean, I know in a social setting for me, I have very porous teeth. And if I drink red wine, it's it's a wrap. You know what oh, I mean? My teeth get like gray and it's just like, like so obvious I've drank red wine. I'm always envious of people who like could have multiple glasses of red wine and their teeth remain one color because that is not the case for me. I'm the same way and I can't wipe it off either. It's yeah. Just... No, it's wild. But I want to take a few steps back because we didn't even talk about how you got into wine mm-hmm. um, and what your education was. So what, and also I know you're also a lawyer. I so am. I just asked you five questions all at once, but take that wherever no, you no, want. No, no, yeah. So with wine, I first got into it. So I've always been into film and I saw the movie Sideways when I was 11. And mm-hmm. I know it's a cliche because it's one of the biggest wine movies out there. But there was just a scene where Miles and Maya talks about wine and everyone knows that scene. But it was just so beautiful and um, I'm also, by the way, I'm, I was born in Taiwan, so I moved here when I was nine and mo- watching movies was also a way for me to learn English. And I remember that scene, I like paused many times just to That was your first English word, Merlot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but that scene, I just remember pausing and looking up words and just being like, this is so beautifully written. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then I just became more fascinated and I went to Borders, got a bunch of books and started self-studying, but not obviously not very seriously because I wasn't drinking wine at the time. And mm-hmm. so I would just know about different grapes. But I was I studied abroad in college. So I was 19, 20. I worked on a vineyard in Bordeaux. And that's when I started taking it more seriously and applying it towards like applying my theoretical knowledge to actual practice. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got super into working on vineyard and, you know, going to the wine library and, and reading all about the different varieties, that's when I really got into it and just continued to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And then coming back, I started working at a wine bar in Claremont called Packing House Wines. And it was just, I worked under the most amazing boss and it was a family owned wine shop. So with certain regulations, I, I found, you know, I was interested in looking up whether it's like ABC regulations or whatever it is, just to make sure that the store remained compliant. Mm-hmm. I wasn't practicing law he had his own lawyer but just for my mm-hmm. own knowledge I will look when you say, up. like about the wines or what what just sort of wine thing? shop in general oh, okay. and I have also another thing is I've worked many jobs since I was 14 so I've mm-hmm. always worked for um family-owned restaurants mm-hmm. and so uh kind of looking up things pertaining to compliance was sometimes a part of my I guess responsibility mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I've, so I've always had an interest in law. And then when I started working at the wine shop, I, I guess I just started pursuing it. Also, I, I have a hospitality degree. So I took a few hospitality law classes and, um, yeah, I started studying for the LSAT while I was working at the wine shop. So I got my level one when I first came back from France and then worked at the wine shop. Wait, so when did, you lived in France? I lived in France. On a vineyard? No. No, I was, I was living in Aix-en-Provence and then the vineyard was in Bordeaux for a couple of months like two months okay yeah so I danced around a lot because I I never really talked about it in a linear fashion because there's mm-hmm. always like so many components yeah and um for level two I was studying for the LSAT while I was studying for level t- two so intense yeah I didn't actually start studying like really studying until maybe two to three weeks before the exam I almost pulled out the exam I was like there's no way I'm gonna pass mm-hmm. but I was working at the wine shop so I had enough experience with wine mm-hmm. and yeah. I am so freaking excited to drop today's perfume juice. There has been speculation buzzing and we can now confirm Chriselle Lim is the re-founder of Fleur Fragrances. She announced the acquisition last week and actually today, 2 is the day that the first fragrance is supposed to be dropped. If you don't know Chriselle, she is a super influencer on YouTube, on TikTok. She has a rich mom persona. She is the ultimate beauty guru. And her content is humorous and aspirational at the same time. Anyway, I must give credit where credit is due because former guest, the niche sampler, aka Valerie March, posted a video on TikTok, I want to say like a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, with her suspicions that Chriselle was behind a perfume launch. And it was the result of amazing internet sleuthing. So Valerie, keep doing your thing. You were right. What we now know is that it's not just a perfume. 
and it is not just a perfume line, it is an acquisition. So if you're listening to this today, depending on the time, the info might already be out, but I thought it'd be fun to give you guys my predictions of what we can expect from this Fleur relaunch. I do believe it will be treated as a full new launch. I think Crizelle is going to come out with all new fragrances or drastically reformulate the existing ones. I did see that she said she's working with multiple perfumers, but the one she first mentioned was Constant Georges Picot, who is affiliated with Cosmo International Fragrances. So to be honest, I'm not quite as familiar with that company as I am with some others, but it seems like they do a lot of white label creations. So the only perfume that I was able to trace back to Constance that I'm personally familiar with is Hue, the new fragrance from Hilly Kyoko. The price point of that fragrance, I believe, is $60, and the smell to me very closely resembles Melrose Place by Way. It's like a fresh, fruity floral, very ozonic, a little bit shampoo-y. Then I started doing more background search on Constance to see if she has a style that she is known for, and I found that she was interviewed in the Fragrance Foundation's Accords newsletter about trends she predicted for 2022, and she talked most about the clean and green movement advances and how to reach a younger demographic through a fresh green and clean smell. She even mentioned one of Cosmo's specific ingredients, which is a spinach absolute. So I'm feeling like we are going to see a price point around 60-ish dollars, a continuation of the clean fragrances that they're already known for. And I think the new fragrances are going to feel green and clean and fresh. And I don't know, that's not exactly what I would predict for Crizelle, but I guess that's my prediction based on the perfumers that I know she's working with. Very excited to see how this plays out and very excited for Crizelle. This is amazing and I'm putting it out into the world so that hopefully we can manifest this. I hope to someday have Crizelle Lim on the pod so that we can talk about this very exciting relaunch. And if you hear noise in the background, I apologize. That is my loud AF radiator that I can do nothing about. Back to the episode. So you have a lot of years working in a wine shop. I'm curious, were there requests that seem to come up time and time again? And if so, what were they? A lot of times people want to find wine that they actually like. And what I oftentimes I think what happens is we buy cheaper wines. And uh, especially when we're just starting out, we're not willing to splurge on wine. And oftentimes mm-hmm. cheap wines, you have add a lot of crap to it Mm -hmm. and it ends up tasting really bad and a lot of cheap wines have a really strong alcohol smell and so people don't like the taste of wine because it tastes like straight alcohol and no one likes that I don't like that you know so I think that happens a lot with cheap wines. so people would oftentimes just ask me like can you find something that I actually like Mm -hmm. can you get me into wine I want to be able to talk about wine and so you know they'd be like to help me describe this wine or whatever it is or just use the right words so that they can find the wine that they like so you're essentially like people's, I picture you as like a wing woman on a date. Like a guy is like, I picked out this Bordeaux and you're going to taste gonna- da, da, da. And you're like, meanwhile, it was like you being like, tell her it tastes like that. <laughs> yeah, I've done that before where I'm like, okay, just say you like, and I try to give them three words of like what they like. Yeah. And another thing about encouraging people to use words or whatever to say smell is that mm-hmm. don't be afraid to use words that actually describe what you're tasting slash smelling because- mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people think they're supposed to use certain words or they think they hear certain wine words or, you know, things they're supposed to like and not like, and Mm -hmm. they adopt it without really knowing what it is. And then they never end up getting what they like. Right. It's like the vocabulary is there to serve you because if you're in a restaurant and you aren't familiar with the menu, you could ask for a recommendation based on what you know you like. Right. And I think there's a a big, you know, I think that's really similar with fragrance where it's like, to describe something as animalic or indolic or to say uh, that this is an amber fragrance. Like these are all things that if you don't know, you wouldn't know how to describe them. Right. And so I'm curious, like maybe we could go through some of the basic words that come up a lot and just like when to use them, like when to use full body or Mm. tannin or just some words that come up often for you. Right. So I think the most important words to know with wine, with red wine in particular, would be tannins Mm -hmm. and acidity. And I think with white wine, you want to know residual sugar and also acidity. 
So tannins is a sensation on your, it comes from the grape skin. So I don't know if you've ever chewed on grape skin for a long time. It kind of creates that scrapey sensation. Mm-hmm. I always think of it as like using bar soap. And after you wash your hands, you kind of have that like squeaky clean feeling. Okay. So it's like that on your tongue. And right. it's just like a drying sensation. And people use misuse tannins a lot because they think that's what you're supposed to say. If you're trying to say that you, you want a really good wine. And that's not the case. Tannins really is just, it, it come, it's in certain red wines and it's just that scraping sensation. Acidity is the sensation that makes you salivate. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you, you feel it on the side of your mouth, you know, your jaw, some people, they get like their jaws get kind of sore and it just makes your mouth water. And I guess, oh, actually fruit forwardness is also a very important word because you want to know most red wines you drink are going to be dry, but fruit forward. Okay. And so if you want something that has more fruit notes, then you want to ask for fruit forward wine instead of a sweet wine, because you'll find that in a lot of white wines as well, like German Rieslings mm-hmm. or, you know, just wines with resi- residual sugar. But or like you're a, not, would a Muscat be accurate to say that you'd find? So those? Muscat is actually also Moscato. Moscato is very sweet. OK, so um, yeah. So I, I think knowing fruit forwardness is very important because that's like I said, that's you're going to find that in red. So you either like that or you don't. And if you don't figure out what you like, so maybe you like earthier ones, you like more, you know, old roll wines. And so a lot of Italian wines like Nebbiolo is going to be very tannic. It's also going to be, you know, earthy. It's not going to be super ripe, fruity. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that is very important. And with white wine, you also want to know whether or not you like acidity or if you just want something sweet. Mm-hmm. And if you do, it's totally fine. You know, I feel like a lot of people just don't feel like they can say that because it makes them sound like a beginner. But if you like sweet wine, say you like sweet wine, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, that's another thing is like, as someone who knows so much, do you feel like there are things that as you've gotten deeper into this journey, you're like, uh, it's like taboo to like that kind of wine. And how would you say your taste matches your knowledge? I think there's, I don't really want to, I don't think there's anything that's like taboo to like. I know there are wines that don't taste like wine. And so when people like it, I want to help them find wines because if they keep drinking that wine, they're never going to really like most wines. So right. I'm, I don't want to bash on the brand, but Stella Rosa is a very popular brand and people like to drink it, but it doesn't really have as much of, it's not going to be as similar to other wines that they're going to try. So they drink Stella Rosa, they drink other wines. They're like, I hate it. Let me go back to Stella Rosa. But like, mm-hmm. if you steer them in the right direction, maybe try Riesling mm-hmm. and um, it's going to have, you know, the similar residual sugar, but it's also going to have piercing acidity. So when you have that together, you start getting used to acidity. From there, maybe you can move to a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is going to have, you know, acidity, but also a little bit of residual sugar. Mm -hmm. Then you move to maybe California Sauvignon Blanc, which is going to be, you know, oaked. So it's going to be a little rounder. Then you can move to Sancerre, which is going to be, you know, lighter and, and not as round and from there you know you can you can find kind of like a way to go from what you like and slowly move into a direction of you know opening the door to try other ones and liking it it's like de- not desensitizing but it's like in some ways like sort of like adjusting your palate right. as you go exactly like, I think it's like I liken this to like what if you ever color your hair like I feel like the first time or I'm speaking from my own experience the first time I wanted like the most subtle highlights I didn't want anyone to know that I got highlights I was like I want it to look so natural by the time after like a few years of highlighting my hair I was like if I can't see the highlights I didn't get my money's worth you know what I mean it's like (laughs) you eventually you just want more and more and more exactly um okay so you started to talk about different wines and descriptors you would use for them if I throw out a few common varietals, can you tell me like a general word, like how you would describe those? How would you describe Pinot Noir? Pinot Noir is going to be acidic and it's going to have brighter fruit notes. So think, you know, cherries, mm-hmm. raspberries, and, you know, it's going to be in the berries fruit family, but it's also going to have acidity to back it up. Mm-hmm. So, okay, from there, I was like, you know, I liked this, but I wish it felt a little bit more full. Where would you go next? If you want to go a little fuller, I would go, well, Pinot, there's also varying degrees. So if you get it from like Burgundy, it's going to be very different compared to California, Mm -hmm. Central Coast Pinot North. That's going to be a little fuller. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can move to 
I want to say maybe you can go to like a Merlot or Malbec. Mm -hmm. That's going to be, you know, a little fuller. It's going to give it a little more body. Mm -hmm. The fruit notes are going to get darker. And I think you can go from there to Cabernet Sauvignon. It's it's hard to generalize because as I'm saying, these, you know, varieties, different regions produce very different styles. Right. But just in terms of like generalizing, Cabernet Sauvignon is going to have, you know, black currant fruit notes and mm-hmm. it's also going to have tannins it's going to have structure you can also go to Syrah that's when you're going to see the leather coming into play Ooh, that's fun I mean this is really similar to fragrance in a lot of ways of just these like notes that seem abstract but they are present in these in these wines and I don't know I want to almost like re-smell this wine that oh, you poured yeah. again like after talking about this yeah, I mean, it just, it has such a sweetness to me. But Wyatt and I were saying oh, when like you're- honeyed. Yes, it's honeyed. Yeah. It's like, and it just feels like super, it's very evocative of summer to me. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, we were saying it's sunny out. So it like looks deceptively like it actually could be like a warm day. And yeah. sipping this in the sunlight, I feel like I want to be in a park. That's how it, that's how it, what it makes me feel at least. Yes, I think that's totally right. In fragrance, there are- perfumes that people describe as like a guilty pleasure perfume and it could be on a few different things it could be on the price point it could be on the notes I think in general what I have seen people feel embarrassed about are you know if they would love like a bath and body works fragrance if they love something that feels like it's not sophisticated enough or if they love something that just feels almost like a like a low-hanging fruit like of like mass appealing like oh this is fruity and sweet and vanilla and of course I like it because it smells good and then they're embarrassed that they didn't like something really like complex and intriguing Mm -hmm. would you say that there's that parallel in wine absolutely yeah there are certain wines I think a good example is a lot of people like a chardonnay that's you know on the more buttery side Mm -hmm. and that's easy drinking and with red wine there's also wines that are just very fruity Mm -hmm. and those are all easy drinking wines and I think that's totally fine and people don't want to admit to it they then they end up getting something they don't like right and it's like what's the point and sometimes you just want to be able to drink something without feeling like you know people are going to be judging you right and so I think those are with with Chardonnay I think I, I recently made a video about Chardonnay as well. A lot of people are like, oh, I hate, you know, buttery shards. I hate this. And and someone was like, I love buttery shards. What's wrong with me? I'm just now learning it's not accepted. And I was like, that's not, you know, that's not, you shouldn't feel like it's not accepted. You should just right. drink what you like right. and not worry about what people think. And I have a new video coming out about Merlot because... Uh, the movie Sideways destroyed the Merlot industry. Like right. sales went you down. You were telling me about so this. much. Yeah, I watched that scene last night, like in anticipation of the interview, where he's like, "You better not order Merlot." Yeah, like, if anyone orders yeah. Merlot, I'm leaving. I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot. Sorry, I'm not trying to cuss. But. No, you can go for it. <laughs> yeah. So in that people are like, "Oh, wine snob doesn't like Merlot." I too will not like Merlot. He doesn't ever talk about why he doesn't like Merlot. He doesn't ever talk about, uh, you know, anything wrong with the grapes, but he just says that. And my theory is like, well, not my theory. This is actually what the director said. Like Miles doesn't drink Merlot because his ex-wife loved Merlot and he was not over his divorce. And so I'm guessing that was in the book because they don't really make that very clear in the movie. And what they do do is towards the end, he has this prized you know bottle that he's been saving and it's a uh chateau cheval blanc which is predominant it's a merlot blend and so he talked about that he talks about that wine many times throughout the film and towards the end he he finally drinks it it's like this really special moment um and yeah and i think originally they tried to do petrus which is a hundred percent merlot but Mm. the the owner didn't want to let them use petrus i don't know why so they went with cheval blanc Interesting. Have you ever had the experience where you've had a client or customer who was sort of being a little bit like snotty about wine and you like it? Yeah. And like, have you ever given them something that they said they didn't want and they liked it? Yes. And that's another thing is that's tough about working at a restaurant or working as a SOM is that you have to do so much pride preservation, ego protection while trying to give people what they like. And so I feel like that's so much people don't recognize how hard that is, is because you are you're playing mind games. You almost have to be good at psychology, yeah. saying things that don't offend them. And right. then and then still finding stuff they like 
And sometimes you can't even tell them why they like it because then they're like, oh, you know, like whatever right, it is. Right. And so that's actually I, I was about to get to the fact that like I switched to law also because in wine service, it's not so much about why I got into wine in the first place anymore. I, you know, originally loved wine because I worked on a vineyard. I was so fascinated with the production side of things. And then when I actually worked in service, it was so much about like we're saying I like things that I'm supposed to like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes like worrying about the price point and things like that. And so I I was always still very honest, but there's just too much dancing that I didn't like. And so uh, back to your point, a lot of people come in, they're like, I don't want anything sweet. And I'm like, well, none of the red wines on this wine list is going to be sweet. And they're like, well, I want something that's very, very, very dry. And dry actually in the wine world just means no residual sugar. Well, it's Mm -hmm. under a certain threshold in the technical sense, but they're all dry. Everything on the menu is dry, except for like maybe the Riesling at the time. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a lot of times you just have to figure out what they like. And and oftentimes when they're newer to wine, they do like a really fruit forward wine. And I think oftentimes I'll give them a glass and I'll just have to be like, oh, so, you know, like robust. And I think with Napa wines, I do that a lot because the Napa, Napa winemaking for a very long time was very mm-hmm. um, new oak heavy and very round and, and mm-hmm. I, I think very easy drinking because super ripe fruits. So when they're like, I don't really like you know, like old world wines. I don't like European wines. I'm more into Napa. I'm like, yeah, you know, the robust. It's you know, all that men love Yeah, you're like, oh, men love this. Yeah, men love Napa. But it's <laughs> actually just so easy drinking. Right. So, um, and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I could do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like a lot of old world wines you don't like because it's going to be more acidic. It's going to yeah. have it's going to have less fruit notes. Right. And um, that's why people don't like it. And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes I still have to do a lot of dancing when I talk to people like, oh, yeah, you probably don't like it because it's just too delicate for you, you know, or whatever it is. Right. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. Robust. Like give me something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> another thing that I have seen trending and um, I, I had a former guest who worked in the wine industry and mentioned this was this big trend with orange wines right now and funky wines. And uh-huh. what are your thoughts on that trend? And do you drink them? So that would probably be my guilty pleasure because orange wine has been hyped for so long out of nowhere. It's been around forever and mm-hmm. natural wines have been around forever. And it's been, it started trending when I was working at a wine shop, I think back in 2014, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just continued to people are starting to discover it more and it's still trending. And I don't know if it's going to, because everyone's trying to make it now, it's kind of becoming like the craft beer of wine. And so mm-hmm. you, I have tasted some shitty orange wines. Right. Um, and because there's so many, it's just hard to control the quality and I mean, I personally like it. And with funkiness, I think that word is also very broad because a lot of people don't really know what they want when it comes to funky. And so before when I would use the word funk, it's usually with wine that has some intentional like brett, which is a type of yeast that makes it smell kind of uh, barnyardy and mm. like horsey. And, and there's a parallel to that in fragrance. People often describe oud as having a barnyard note. Really? So this is, you know. That's so funny. Bit, yeah. It doesn't smell like barnyard to me. But that's yeah. another thing with wine. It's, it's using the right descriptor when you smell certain things. Right. And, and also there's different types of oud and oud from different places that has different smells. So it's got like it, what you were it. saying about like the latitude and terroir, it all yeah. matters. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think I think funk to a certain extent still, oh, back to what I was saying with Brett in very small traces, it's fine, sometimes intentional, but it is a fault in wine. So you don't want too much Brett when it starts to get kind of like quote unquote mousy, which is like a hamster cage. That's when it's a fault. I love these descriptors. Really? Yes. And there's also, there's animalic in perfume, which means it smells carnal, feral. You get something that smells like sweat or sex or dirty. Like, Uh So there's all these parallels. That's so interesting. You that's say mousy. Yeah, oh my God. mousy. Is, I love that. And that's why people, I think, I I don't have, I don't take issue with the word funky, but I know a lot of wine producers do because they don't want to hear that their wines, you know, has Brett when it's not supposed to right. or whatever it is. And so people, I think when they want funky, I think oftentimes they want something that's different, that doesn't necessarily taste like traditional wine. Mm-hmm. It could have a little bit of, Brett or like barnyardy smell, 
or it could just be like chunky because it has sediments. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of because orange wine or natural wines, a lot of them are unfiltered. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see the sediments. And so sometimes to people, that's really funky when it's cloudy. Right. And so when it comes to flavor profile, a lot of times it's just stuff that doesn't taste as fruity. I think that's what like people want when they want funk. Mm -hmm. But I also have experienced varying degrees of talking to people when they ask for funk. It just they're asking for different things. So is orange wine like meant to have faults or is a fault different than a funk? A uh, fault is different from a funk. So it's not meant to be faulty orange wines. It's just supposed to have that smell that would in large traces be problematic in mm -hmm. other wines. And mm -hmm. so with orange wines, it's meant to have kind of more of a, now I'm using the word funk to it, mm -hmm. but it's also going to have kind of like a cider flavor profile too is going to be sour rather than you know just kind of lemon acidity is going to be more you know fermented um kind of like sour flavor profile interesting well I will say the first time I ever tried orange wine was on a terrible date I want to say circa like 2014 oh my gosh um and this guy actually ended up Venmoing me for the receipt of our date after I told him no I didn't want to go out way. with him again. Oh my um, goodness. The one good thing, and I'll share this. So he, we went to a Georgian restaurant, which was the first time I ever had um, orange wine. I don't, I don't know if it's like maybe known for Georgian wine being orange, but That's where it started, he yeah. made a reservation. Oh, look at look you at just you. casually <laughs> dropping that knowledge. Like, yeah, it started there. He made a reservation for 6 p.m. for mm. an empty restaurant. We walked into the restaurant. No, oh, he pulled up in a stretch limo and a suit at a no. casual restaurant. This is prom. 6 p.m. I'm, I'm feeling like it's prom. <laughs> we go in. Nobody's there. And he goes to the hostess and he's like, table for two and like gives his name. And I literally looked at him and I was like, thank God you made that reservation. And <laughs> he was like, I don't want to lose my open table points. And... Are yeah. you serious? Yeah. So it was kind of one of the worst dates of my life. Weirdly, I did go out with him a third time, which is when I ended it and got the Venmo request. Um, that's a me problem. Even after the third date, you said? So that was the second date. Okay. And I remember I, after that date, I was like talking to my friends. I'm like, you guys, I can't do this. I was like, the first date I got too drunk, thought I had a good time. Yeah. Second date, I was like, that was weird. I shouldn't do this a third time. And they were like, it's endearing. He's sweet. He came in a limo. Like, you know, that's, I was like, that's no, fucking bizarre. That's really it's really bizarre. Like, what is this, yeah. bar mitzvah? Like, it was weird. <laughs> and after the third time, that's when I ended it. But the good, the best thing about my time with him was that is when I discovered orange wine at that Georgian oh, restaurant. See? They Everything brought over, happens for he, reason. and he ordered the bottle. I will say he didn't even let me look at the menu, which is fucking rude. And he's like, "Look at the bottle of this," <laughs> and I was like, that. "You better hope I like that wine." And then it came, and I was like, "Damn it!" You're like, I love "Oh, it. I actually so like good. this." It's so funny yeah. because orange wines are also another thing that's so great about them is they're oftentimes pretty reasonable, mm -hmm. and so I feel like he probably didn't let you touch the menu because he's like. <laughs> No, he ordered all expensive stuff. Oh. Yeah. But then like, I was like, yeah, you're foot in the bill because you didn't ask for my consent before oh, you ordered this like yeah, $85 bottle of wine. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, thank you. You can get it. Um, But yeah, I That's know that crazy. you also mentioned that you are in a relationship. Yes. And your partner is into wine as well. Yes. So what is, what's the wine situation in your relationship? The wine situation, it has you know, evolved a lot in the beginning. He was very much like, I know a lot about wine and he's tasted a lot of wines and he has, you know, he has friends who would get really nice wines. So he also got what he thought were nice wines. And, um, he very much didn't want to try anything that didn't have any sort of brand recognition. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in the beginning there was some, you know, tension when I tried to be like, no, you know, this is not necessarily, you know, like, I think, like I said, it, there's a lot of, ego preservation when it yes. comes to wine people don't want to be told I don't know why people like tie it to not him but a lot of people tie wine knowledge to like 100% like self-worth masculinity it's whatever it's literally it is. about your taste buds and like what you like to drink at the end of the day right? yeah like, oh, I actually have a story like after this yeah about a customer but oh, please. Um, I would love to hear. yeah so in the beginning there was a lot of like like if I'm trying to correct him, it's very much like, no, I know. No, I know. I meant to say this. No, I know. And I'm like, nah, nah, still, like, but still don't. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so now he kind of is better about deferring to me when it comes to wine. And um, even with certain like wine etiquette, he, he's always been good about this. But if we go to a restaurant, technically, if the whoever orders the wine, whoever looks at the wine list and orders it, 
uh, is the one tasting the wine or getting presented and or the, like the bottles will be presented to that person. And oftentimes a lot of servers will feel uncomfortable with that. So they'll show him and he'll be like, actually, she's you, you can show her. And you're like, I'm a psalm. So, yeah. Yeah. And also I, I still order the wine, you know. Yeah. And so they will even after showing me and they're pouring a sip to see if it's faulty, they still pour it for him, which is yeah. something that's so funny to me because whoever you presented to, you also pour a sip for that person. Right. And so they will. And oftentimes when he's like, no, she will be tasting. They will pour it for the both of us because they're that uncomfortable with the woman at the table tasting the wine getting the wine it's so it blows my mind that it happens so frequently too that's wild yeah wow what's the story you were gonna tell me about a customer I I don't know if this story is actually funny to other people like but I had a customer when I was working at the wine bar who asked for he was like can you bring me a bottle of Cabernet Nahi and I think with wine what's so important is um, kind of like a, a level of intellectual humility. I think it's so important to recognize what you know and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I was studying at the time, but I wasn't fully confident in like my knowledge of wine to know all the grapes out there. So I remember just being like, what is a Cabernet Nahi? Mm-hmm. And he got so offended. He's like, it's a German wine. How do you not know what Cabernet Nahi is? And I was like, oh my God, what's a Cabernet Nahi? And I was like, should I be embarrassed? Because it sounds like such a legitimate wine. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm trying to figure it out. And he's like, can you bring me a real Psalm here? And I was like, actually, like, I'm, you know, the Psalm at the restaurant, yeah. at this restaurant. And he's just like, yeah, bring me a real one. And his date was so rude. It was like, I'll get a Pinot Noir, you know, the red wine. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I know. And no, this was after I was certified. So I was very confident that I had never studied that great. Yeah. Anyway, so long story short, uh, he wanted a wine that's of the cabinet, like K-A-B-I-N-E-T-T predicate, which is sugar level at harvest. And it's a Riesling. He wanted a mm-hmm. Riesling. And it's from the region of Na, which is spelled N-A-H-E. And I think what happened is he had it one time. He's like, wow, what a great, you know, wine. And he looked at the bottle and it was like Cabernet Nahi and just started like, but he was so confident right. and was so patronizing towards me about this Cabernet Nahi. Anyway, so that was a really fun interaction with the client because he That's or horrible. customer. It comes from both so ends. It comes from the people serving when you order and it comes from people who, if you're, you're the Psalm that they just like need another opinion. Like, yeah, they wanted my male boss to come and say, you know, do you think that there's sexism in the industry? Like, is it a male oh dominated? Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I get that so much. Like, Oh, I never had a female Psalm. Like, Oh, like really? I, it's yeah. still very, you know, male dominated and it's still very um I think there's not there's less room for women to make mistakes and men in the wine industry so with wine I think oftentimes a lot of people are afraid to talk about is because it's almost like it's similar to cancel culture in terms of terms of if you say something wrong they'll be like she doesn't know anything and when a guy says something wrong it's not as serious and you don't get your you don't get discredited as quickly right and yeah, even on my TikTok, I think people just, I can present all the correct information and they'll be like, you pronounce that weird. And I'm just like, you're going to take I a, get that too. I minute. will get DMs of people who don't like the way I say a word. And I'm like, you don't even follow me. Why, I are, know, you, why, why are, you, are you taking time out of your day to tell me you don't like how I say tuberose? Yeah, it's so crazy. Because if they don't have any sort of factual, like they can't po- poke pa- factual holes, they can only find like pronunciation the faults, yeah but we're the, the funk faults. we're not the we're not the faults we're the funk exactly yeah See? Oh, wow. i love that oh, okay look i that. feel like that's an episode <laughs> title right there boom mic drop okay um you were talking about getting certified real quick what is that process like so i went through cms which is pretty much a lot of self-studying and they have a, a non they have guild song which is a you know, something you can go through to get lessons. And so there's three components, there's service, there's theory, and there's uh, blind tasting. And and theory is the easiest. You have to read a bunch of books. They give you an outline as kind of like the skeleton of what you need to study with each region. And then through that, you get the wine Bible, you know, Atlas, and you just study each region and you memorize everything. That part is manageable. You have the blind tasting portion. So you just have to, you. that's where you start to apply theoretical knowledge to actual tasting. So people think you're so smart for tasting wine, knowing exactly what it is, but it's more, it's a lot, a lot of it is theory. So you, you taste certain notes and you're like, well, what, what wine has those notes? And mm-hmm. 
Also with alcohol level, you look at the legs, you know, there's so many things for you to determine these things. And a lot of it is theoretical and they go hand in hand. You also have to taste a bunch of wines and just practice. And then- And how do you learn the notes? Is it a matter of just tasting it enough until you start to be able to detect like a cherry note and a leather note and things like that? Yeah, so you have to know what you're supposed to be smelling when you're studying. So with Pinot Noir, you know you're supposed to be smelling certain uh, fruit notes. And so when you're smelling the Pinot Noir, you look for those notes because oftentimes it's not going to present itself in a wine the way you envision it. And so um, like Malbec smells like to me, something that I have as it's kind of like, is it like pickled prunes? Is that what they're called? I don't know. In Mm -hmm. Taiwanese culture, we eat that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I smell that in Malbec. And so to me, I will. It's like your memory jogger. That's my memory. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't necessarily say that, but that's my memory jogger. Another thing is you also, it's kind of like a, like a math test where you have to show the work. So Mm -hmm. for a while, um, and I'm still kind of like that for a while, I would smell the wine and know exactly what wine it is. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that because that's just the very last step. You need to show, you know, acidity, medium, you know, like medium plus, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You need to, every component, like, are there, you know, has it been oaked? Like, you know, there's so many things that you have to figure out and and show your work. Mm -hmm. And each line is like a point. And so you can't just jump to a conclusion. And so with that, you just have to practice how to, you know, you grade yourself and then you look at like a model answer kind of thing and go from there. Wow. It's so interesting. I mean, when when you hear the journey of a perfumer, there's a lot of parallels. I, I was just talking to a perfumer and it's so much like blind t- uh, smelling and the theory. So really yeah, interesting. And with with the service portion, you actually that's where you it's like the wild card portion. You need to know cocktail. You need to know sake. You need to know, you know, um, liquor. And then mm-hmm. while you're and you also need to know producers, that's where you need to memorize a bunch of producers. Mm-hmm. And you are going to be opening a bottle of champagne. They tell you who's at the table and these are like like invisible people like imaginary people and you just have to go in order of you know there's gender there's age you go around and you also really so if they're not sitting in the right area you have to like go who do you go to first oh so uh the master songs be like hello like this is my mom my brother you know my sister whatever so the master song will taste the wine first and then and then you have to go around to like the oldest uh, female and then go in a circle serving all the female first and then you go around the circle serving the males and then you pour the taster last. Wow. And so um, while you do that. Wait, this is just for the test or this is in a restaurant? Oh, this is a test. So there is a round table of one master song with just invisible people. So you also have to memorize that. That was another tough part Uh because as you're doing that, as he's telling who's sitting at the table, he's also going to be like, by the way, can you name like five, you know, like I want a wine that tastes like this and I want to get like lamb and, you know, what should I pair it with? And like, I don't like that. I don't like Malbec. What else would you, I don't like Syrah. What Mm -hmm. else would you recommend? Mm -hmm. And once you recommend one, they're like, oh, well, can you tell me your, you know, like, can you name six of them? And so you have to name six producers and then they'll be like, oh, never mind. I want a cocktail. Can you tell me what's in a bucare? And you have to like, just do that. So, oh my gosh. And you can't make the champagne pop. So you see people running out crying because your champagne's not cold enough and it pops and you're just supposed to like let it hiss. It's a whole thing and it's so stressful. Oh my God. Okay. That's so, probably the worst portion. So let's just do um, real quick before we get to these perfumes. Um, if I'll name a few different foods and you tell me like what you would pair that with, like at a very baseline level. Okay. Okay. What would you pair um, a seafood dish with? Ooh, I would do Vermentino, Chablis. I have no idea what y'all talking about. (laughs) Okay. What would you pair um, lamb with? I would do Pinot, Syrah, maybe like a California Gamay. And what would you pair a chicken with? And how would it be different than your lamb choice? Chicken, I would do Pinot, cooler climbing Pinot. I would do Oregon. I would do Burgundy. Or you can also do a fuller-bodied white that's different from lamb because there's less fat and less gaminess. Um, it's just going to – you don't want a wine that's going to overpower the chicken. You also don't necessarily need as much uh, to cut through, I guess, the fat. Okay. And Curveball from Wyatt, what would you pair with something along the lines of a, a deep dish pizza? Something that's Sangiovese-based because deep dish is going to have more tomato sauce. So you want something that's going to have, you know, the acidity that's going to go with White snapping it. in the background. <laughs> you passed the test. Damn, this is awesome. This is such good knowledge. If people listening are like, can you recommend something that you just freaking love under $15? 
whether it's a brand or or a type or anything, like what would you mm. recommend people try? Hugel, uh, I think they do both a blend. So you can do Hugel Gentil. You can do Trapiche Malbec. You can do, I think this is more, you can find it just anywhere. You can do like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. So I think Cloudy Bay is going to be something that you can find a lot in stores. Mm-hmm. Bergen's Albarino, you can also find in stores. It okay. is a great, it's a great Albarino that you'll be able to find. And Elisa might be a little over $15, but it's a wonderful Malbec blend. Amazing. Well, I'll also write all of these in the notes for everyone listening. If you're like trying to like type these or write them down as Michelle is saying them so that you can go to your local wine store and check them out. Um, Michelle, normally we have another segment, but I think we're just going to go right into the perfumes Perfect. and that's going to be the the finale of the show. Awesome. So Michelle, thank you so much. This has been so fun. For everyone listening, I spoke to Michelle before the episode and she told me a little bit about her taste and what she's interested in. So I pulled a few that I thought you might like. Also, no pressure if you don't, okay? Think of okay. me as like your perfume sommelier. How fun. If you're like, I need it to be more this, then I'll just like come up with another recommendation. The first one that I am going to spray for you is a very popular one right now. This is called Amir's Femme, and I thought you might like it. Ooh, I really like it. It's very fresh. Mm-hmm. This this reminds me of spring, kind of like the way this yeah. wine reminds you of spring. I think I would wear something with a little more um, oomph, though. I don't know how to explain it. This is very light, but there is something... See, I see smells. I don't know how to explain it. There's yeah. something here okay. that's a little too much. Like, it's up here, though. I don't know how to explain it. I think it's going to be a little more floral, but it's floral in a way that's too cute. I hear what you're saying, and I have another recommendation. So based on that, she said Amira's Femme, and I'm going to now go to Bayredo Inflorescence because I feel like the way that you were talking almost about, like, acidity, mm-hmm. it's not acidity it's a different thing but it's like it has a more like like oomph to it so let's see if this I feel like you're talking about like the journey of like first Pinot then Malbec then Cab and so I'm like going in a in an order I haven't sprayed this in a while so hopefully it's as good as I remember because if it's not I might take this one back I don't know (laughs) if I feel the same as I did when I first sprayed it but I will let you this is very citrus fruity yeah yeah, it's got notes zesty. of lily and it's very fresh and it's almost like bubble bathy. And the mm-hmm. name is inflorescent and I feel like it has like an effervescence to it. Mm-hmm. But it's not. I do like it. It's very clean. I still wouldn't wear it though. Okay. I'm going to grab one other. I have pulled something with a very dominant black current note because we just went from this a. This is bubble bathy. Yeah. We just went from a fruity musky to something sort of like bubble bathy fresh. Now I'm going to give you a little black current. It's a little bit more creamy. It's a little fruitier, but it's a little fuller. Is that getting closer or further? Different. I think I would probably like the bubble bath one a little more than this one. This is giving me the color red, mm-hmm. and I really like what I was feeling with blue. Okay. It makes no sense when I say that. But no, it does. It totally does. And I have another that I'm thinking of. Okay, wait. There is one that I'm going to pull that I think would be like the next trajectory from that, but I'll just spray a few of these while we're here. Okay. And you can tell me what you think. And I think I told you my nighttime scent is um, Young Rose or Rose of No Man's Land. So I'm now giving you Mercurial Cashmere. This is a really successful new perfume, but I think it might have the carsick note. And I'm curious if you like it or not. I love that we're calling it the carsick note. I think it's beautiful, but I think there's an element of I a I think that's a very light car signal that I can tolerate because it smells so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this one. It has a strong cashmere note, which is going to be sort of, to me, new carish, but it's beautiful. It's so nice. Yeah, this is really nice. Do you feel like different perfumes smell different on different people? Oh, 100%. And also these smell different on skin. Like the last one that I gave you that you said was smelling red on skin it definitely has more of like a an, like a tartness to mm-hmm. it that you don't get necessarily on the blotter. Mm-hmm. There's one more that I'm thinking that I'm going to pull. This is so fun. You're so good at this. For everyone listening, we started at Amira's Femme. And she liked it, but she went a little more oomph. So then we went to Byredo Inflorescence, and it had like a bubble bath element that you liked, but it wasn't like 
giving you everything you wanted. I actually really like it though. Now that I'm the the inflorescence. Yeah. Okay. Then we went to Meliora and I brought that out because of the black currant note. So I thought there might be a little tartness, but it's still kind of creamy. Then staying in that creamy vibe, we went to Mercurial Cashmere, which I thought could be your your Carsick note, but it's still a stunner. Mm-hmm. And now this is one that is known for its sort of indolic musky quality, yet still very ladylike and feminine. And it's a mm-hmm. fine line to balance. I am now going to put Narciso Rodriguez EDT. This one, I think you almost have to like sit with it and like process your feelings about it. It also is better on skin than on this blotter because I had to rub it on. So the alcohol is really coming up on the blotter. Ooh, I like this one. What is that minty like element to it? What is it? So there's, so musk is a really interesting note in perfume. If you want to smell it in the bottle too, that could be like a good... Because sometimes musk smells very like fresh mm-hmm. linen-y and sometimes it has like a little bit of like like a sexy like like body type of smell. And mm-hmm. in this case, I think it manages to smell like really clean but has like a hint of something a little bit dirty. So yeah, those would be... I think these two are the winners. Inflorescence and Narciso Rodriguez for her. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, you, I think you like sort of aldehydic... And musky notes. Very good to know. Yeah. I have noticed that all the smells I liked at least had musk in. Interesting. The base notes. Yeah. This is so fun. I know. Look at you. Okay. Michelle, it has been so fun having you on the podcast. I loved this exchange of information of wine and perfume, and uh, it's been a great hang. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so, my handle on TikTok and Instagram is legallywined. And you guys, that's where I first discovered Michelle. She is a great follow. And if you thought this was informational and fun, it's that times a million. Go follow her on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon. And illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. 